In less than 24 hours, a spacecraft from India is expected to land on the moon. All eyes are on Chandrayaan-3, India's third lunar exploration mission and hopefully its most fruitful after the short-lived Chandrayaan-1 discovered water on the moon's surface 14 years ago and Chandrayaan-2, whose lander crashed on the moon four years ago. Chandrayaan-3, a project worth 615 crore rupees, has taken plenty of lessons from the past two missions. The country's most ambitious moon mission, Chandrayaan-3, is on the final leg of its journey to the moon. If India succeeds in performing this soft landing and getting its lander on the surface, it will only be the fourth country to do so after the US, the USSR and China. So we will only know on August 23rd whether all the preparations and redesigning and reworking will bear fruit. And mm. for the sake of the team, I think they're fairly confident and I think they will pull it off this time. But the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, isn't just settling for the moon. It now wants to reach for the sun. To be launched in September is the very ambitious Aditya L1 solar mission. In this mission, a satellite will slingshot to a vantage point which is closer to the sun than we've ever gone before. Also coming up is India's first human spaceflight, Gaganyaan, later this year, and a mission to explore planet Venus next year. These are large-scale missions. Whatever we are going in, we are really making a big impact, should we say, internationally as well. The Indian space economy is growing faster than ever before fueled by massive interest from private players and new business use cases. So current course and speed, India should anyway have a 25 to even $40 billion space industry. But if you look at some of the multipliers and the accelerators I spoke about, India could easily have a $100 billion space industry by 2040. But how did we get here and what's the way forward? In what ways is the space touching our lives? And where do we stand in the global space industry? All this in today's episode. It's the 22nd of August. I'm Anirban Chaudhary and this is The Morning Brief. But why the moon? That's Chetan Kumar, my colleague who's been covering space and science for close to 13 years at the Times of India. It is now widely believed that if you want to understand how the solar system or how the Earth and multiple other planets have evolved, it would be important to understand how the moon itself evolved over the many, many years that it has existed. Moon landings were initially part of the space race between Cold War rivals, the US and Russia. Russia was the first country to reach the moon with a hard landing of the unmanned Luna 2 on September 1959. Then, in 1962, came this famous speech from American President John F. Kennedy. We choose to go to the moon, and it will be done before the end of this decade. 
And I am delighted that this university is playing a part in putting a man on the moon as part of a great national effort of the United States of America. And sure enough, in 1969, the Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first two people to set foot on the lunar surface. As one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Since then, the US has taken 12 people to the moon in six missions. Now, as part of mission Artemis, it plans to take the first woman and a person of color there. The test flight is scheduled for 2024. Russia has undertaken 23 moon missions but never landed a cosmonaut there. China's Chang'e 3 landed on the moon in 2013. Chang'e 5 in 2020 collected soil samples from the moon, making China the third country in the world to do so. The country has 3 unmanned and one manned moon mission planned before 2030. The Russians and Chinese are now planning lunar missions together. Israel is planning a mission this year or next and Japan is planning one in collaboration with India. Now India's space journey started with the setting up of ISRO in 1969, the same year that Armstrong and Aldrin landed on the moon. However, its ambitions of space exploration were less geopolitical than US and Russia. Here's Chetan. Ethos of Indian space program has always been different from some of the others. The Russian and US space program sort of initially was backed by the military, and Russia's mm. still in some senses. The Chinese space program is run by the military, while India in 1950s, when when we were seriously talking about this, the objective was very clear. It was to try and use space technology and its applications or advantages to enable the last citizen of this country to bridge the gap. in the society to how do you use technology to take education to different parts of the country will it help in communication that was the primary goal and which isro focused on very very seriously for the first three decades in the mid 90s this sort of changed this whole focus because isro had already launched a series of communication satellites we were able to do remote sensing and we had also built a very reliable launch vehicle that was the pslv and which gave us so the confidence to say that now that we can meet some of these demands you know as and when we want we should look at larger uh, science missions and so india launched the chandrayaan 1 on october 22 2008 and it discovered water molecules on you know the lunar surface which has changed the way we understand lunar geology not just in india but everywhere else but it didn't last its designed lifespan it okay. had a sunburn uh, mm. which is again something that could happen to any spacecraft it didn't happen as planned the mission life of chandrayaan 1 was 2 years then came chandrayaan 2 on july 22nd 2019 it crashed so within a week after you know chandrayaan 2 had failed isro has had conceived chandrayaan 3 and wanted to land something on moon in a very short span of time again and from there on it's been a long uh, journey of tests and retests and simulation test beds there's been a lot of work that's gone on between 2019 and uh, 2023 when isro got ready to launch chandrayaan 3 and uh, the spacecraft eventually was lifted off on board the lvm3 on july 14th at about 2:35 pm i think and from there it spent quite a bit of time around earth going through multiple maneuvers where its altitude at the farthest point 
from Earth was consistently and progressively increased before ISRO attempted what we call the translunar injection or translunar insertion, which puts the spacecraft towards the moon. That happened on August 1 and five days thereafter, I think, Chandrayaan-3 entered the lunar orbit. There have been four other lunar-bound maneuvers that were carried out before the separation. And uh, yesterday's separation marks another significant milestone because this ISRO had done only once before. And this is the second time they attempted and it's gone as planned so far. So now comes the most crucial part with, uh, you know, the lander deboosting and eventual soft landing, which will require a power descent on August 23rd. Like its predecessor, Chandrayaan-3 has a lander named Vikram, after Vikram Sarabhai, which will soft land on the lunar surface and remain there. It has a rover named Pragyan, meaning wisdom, a six-wheeled robotic vehicle which will move around the surface of the moon. And of course, there's the propulsion module or the main workhorse of the spacecraft, which is now separated from it. The mission is now on the last lap of its 384,400-kilometer journey, not counting the several orbits around the Earth and the Moon. So far, its journey has been smooth. I asked Chetan, How sure are we at this stage of the success of the Chandrayaan-3 project? See, with any space mission, the confidence of success comes from preparations like with anything else. But with space missions, what happens is, Nobody can be sure of anything and especially when it involves, you know, dealing with a celestial body like Moon and having to land there. ISRO is fairly confident because they've prepared very hard, they've redone uh, tests, they've redesigned the lander, they've worked out newer algorithms. They've, they've not just learned from Chandrayaan-2's failure, but they've also tried to create newer failure scenarios and try to address them as well. But space has a lot of unknown unknowns. So we will only know on August 23rd whether all the preparations and uh, redesigning and reworking uh, will bear fruit. And mm. for the sake of the team, I think, you know, they're, they're fairly confident and I think they will pull it off this time. Even as the world waits for a successful moon landing, ISRO in its advanced stages for its next big mission, the Sun. Aditi L1 is planned to be India's first space-based observatory to study the solar atmosphere. It's being planned for launch in September. Here too, a spacecraft will rotate around the Earth at great speed and then slingshot towards the Sun. While it's impossible to actually land on the Sun, it'll be stationed at a vantage point or Lagrange point 1 or L1, which is 1.5 million kilometers from the Earth. Dipankar Banerjee is an Indian solar physicist. He's professor of solar physics at the Indian Institute of Astrophysics, Bangalore. He's also one of the key minds powering Aditya. We proposed the Aditya mission. So okay. we had the people who proposed to ISRO that we should mm. have a mission to study the sun. So there was a vision document which was prepared 20 years back by the Academy of Sciences and their possible, you know, coronagraph was, you know, suggested in that vision document. In the context of solar exploration, a coronagraph is an instrument that simulates a solar eclipse. It blocks out light emitted by the sun's actual surface so that its corona can be observed. Stationing just that instrument, or in space parlance, that payload, would have limited Aditya to being a small-scale mission. But in 2013, Professor Yuwa Rao, who was the visionary, was the former ISRO chairman as well, 
he called some of us and said that, would you like to go to Lagrangian one point? Lagrangian one point is actually ideally suited to observe the sun. So we were actually amazed because we could never imagine in our early life that India will be able to one day reach Lagrangian one point. So, Professor, you are now then suggested that, you know, why don't we have a big mission? This was in 2013. ISRO opened up this mission through an announcement of opportunity. And then several institutes within the country, they proposed different instruments. So as far as I am concerned, so I was involved with multiple instruments, actually. I have been there from its, you know, birth stage, I would say, from the proposal and then further development and so on. I wanted to ask you, Professor Banerjee, so for a layman like me, what are the contours or the scope of the project? There are very two important subject area. Why do we need to understand the sun and its variability? As I mentioned, sun is actually our nearest star. Our existence at Earth is because of the presence of the sun and at appropriate distance. Suppose the sun is becomes too bright tomorrow, yeah, our existence is going to be a problem. If the sun doesn't emit the same radiation or it becomes dimmer, then also it is a problem because our atmosphere is completely governed by the radiation which is coming from this star. Sun is also a magnetic star. So there are magnetic field in the atmosphere of the sun and that magnetic field orientation and its structures, it changes with time. And at certain epoch, there are huge explosions in the sun. So we call it solar storms. So these solar storms, when it happens because of the changes in the magnetic field structure, it actually throws away a lot of particles and also magnetic field. It's like, you know, you have a bomb and then the ejector coming out of the bomb. It is also traveling towards Earth. That will affect our communication system, our electric transformers and so on. So these are short-term kind of changes which happens in the sun, which has a direct impact now in our daily life. There is also another long-term variability because as I was telling you that sun is radiating a certain amount of energy. Suppose that energy is also varying in a long term, say 100 years or 1000 years. Then what is going to be the impact of our climate? This is a subject called space climate. So to understand that, we need to monitor the sun also for a very long period of time. Of course, we have been going to space only for last, you know, 50 years. So with that 50 years of data, we have to go back to the history. That variability has major impact in our ozone layer formation, you know, our Earth's atmospheric, you know, dynamics and so on. So that is a more long-term variability study. So this is what also we are going to do from the Aditya mission as well. We try to understand what was the situation in in the case of the sun, in its radiation output and so on, in those periods when we had a mini ice age, the Europe was frozen for 30, 40 years. You know, the Volga River, which runs between Europe, Russia and so on, was frozen for 40 years. So it was mm. extremely cold in Earth. Is it possible to afford a mini ice age now in a today's world? So we need to understand uh, the sun, whether there is a possibility of having a mini ice age in the sun as well. To understand the climate, it is very important to understand the sun. Also, whether there are these kind of short-term variability does change our, you know, our atmospheric layers. It does actually affect our ionosphere. Ionosphere is one of the higher layers of the Earth's atmosphere. And that mm. has all these communication assets. So it does impact the communication because it affects the ionosphere. 
how do we stand globally as far as sun exploration missions are concerned? I must point out that observational solar astronomy has been really lacking from India for the last several decades. India had uh, its solar observatory in Kodaikanal in early 1900 when we started regular observation from the sun. Of course, it was done by the Britishers and famous discoveries was done. But post-independence, as far as solar observations are concerned, we have not gone into major, you know, big facility of international standard. So Aditya mission is actually going to give us a huge a leap into international standards. So surely Aditya is going to be a stepping stone for much deeper and more extensive sun exploration missions, right? The future projects, you know, that are being spoken about right now, is there a timeline also being discussed that by next year, maybe yeah. or in two years? So we are talking about a sort of combination of small-scale missions and a large-scale mission. Because to be honest, it takes almost a decade to really realize a mission of this scale. These are large-scale missions. Whatever we are going in, we are really making a big impact, to be say, internationally as well. So we are now looking at combinations. We can have a small satellite program in, say, three years, four years' time scale. ISRO is very open to now have a satellite launch, you know, many in a, in a month. So mm. it, it's only us. We, we need to build up the instruments in adequate time. Another large-scale mission ISRO is planning is Gaganyaan. It's part of the Indian Human Space Flight Program. Gaganyaan will be the first instance of India sending humans into space. This is planned for launch in 2025, more than 40 years after Rakesh Sharma went into space on board the Russian rocket Soyuz T-11. And Kalpana Chawla became the first woman of Indian origin to reach the space in 1997 on board the American Space Shuttle Columbia. This is Prime Minister Gujral. Kalpana, we are proud of you. Each one of us in India is proud of us. Proud of a person like you who has done such a pioneering work. And particularly the women and youth of India take great pride in seeing what you have done in the space. My hearty congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. The launch of the Gaganyan project has been delayed for four years for reasons including COVID. I asked Chetan, where is it at now? There will be a very uh, important test as part of the Gaganyan program that will happen again towards the end of this month or maybe early September, mid-September, where ISRO will uh, simulate failure conditions after launch and try and bring back the crew module to safety. Of course, this will not be carrying astronauts and it will not be launching on the actual launch vehicle that uh, ISRO is designing to take humans to space and come back. Once this happens, it will pave the way for the first uncrewed mission. That will happen early next year and there will be another uncrewed mission following which if all these tests give out you know, desired results, then uh, the actual human space flight on the human-rated LVM-3 should be expected in 25-26, around that range. So we are getting there. I think that is also another exciting mission that we will be talking a lot more about in the coming few months. Like the Chandrayaan spacecraft, ISRO has clearly slingshotted its space exploration plans. 
after Chandrayaan is Shukrayaan or the Venus Orbiter mission and Mangalyaan 2, its second interplanetary mission to Mars. Both are planned in the next couple of years. ISRO is also planning to co-develop a remote sensing radar with NASA. And then there's a lunar polar exploration mission with Japan. In 2014, just after the success of Mangalyaan, the New York Times published a cartoon. The cartoon depicted India as a farmer with a cow knocking on the door to a room labelled Elite Space Club. In that club were seated a group of suited men in plush armchairs reading about India's mission in a newspaper. Surely we've come a long way from there. But in the global space race, and I'm talking purely in terms of numbers, India is still lagging. For instance, in 2022, a total of 2,533 celestial objects were launched into space in 179 launches across the world. The US did 84 of those launches. China did 62. India did 4. So, space program doesn't work in isolation. Now, you're putting in a satellite in space because there's a demand for it. It has to serve a purpose. So, India is still only among the four or five countries that can launch hmm. with a rocket capability. India is still among a handful of countries that can build a satellite indigenously. Hmm. India is still among the only countries to have made it to Mars, made it to the moon. So, uh, as things stand, that is that, right? And hmm. Indian space program has always worked like that. It has set objectives for itself and it has tried to meet them. And so far, it has met mostly all of them. If everything's going so well, why is there such a crying need for private sector participation? And why is it said that it will really speed up our innovations? Like I've explained before, meeting your set objectives is one thing. And that I think ISRO has been doing over the last six decades. Now the objective is to sort of leverage ISRO's legacy, the kind of technologies it is able to build indigenously and create an ecosystem that allows private industry to also grow. And this is being done in turn to make the best of, you know, the global demand that there is. And that would mean that you might have to launch two rockets a month. Then what happens? Because space is a capital intensive and high risk business and you don't always see, you know, the kind of demand that you want to see for private industry to you know, just invest a lot of money and say, okay, where are the satellites? It doesn't work. So it has to be a collaborative kind of effort. And that is why the creation of InSpace, Ensil, where Ensil is trying to hand out some technologies to private sector to enable them to, you know, get a jump start. So this whole thing is being done so that you are able to launch for the world. The world space market stood at $386 billion in 2021, according to consulting firm Arthur D. Little it'll likely grow to $1 trillion by 2040. But where does India stand? I asked Bornik Moitro, Managing Partner, India and South Asia at Arthur D. Little. So let's start with where we are. India today has a $2 billion space economy, which is mostly driven by government spend. If you look at the global space economy, that is around $105 billion today. So India is roughly 2% of the global space economy. Now, we believe in something called Space 4.0, which is the next frontier of space, which will be driven by commercialization, participation of private industry and innovation. And with that, the global space industry itself will become $1 trillion. So the space industry globally is growing. 
Now, what's going to happen in India is also quite similar. We are going to see an increasing space budget, which includes both government spending and also private spending. India will continue to be a preferred destination for launch services. This will be augmented by the entry of private players and startups who will build the entire ecosystem around ISRO. And then there is another big variable, which is this internet satellite market, which is a nascent market where we are seeing a lot of interest. So these four drivers will drive India towards to what we believe is a 20 to $25 billion market by 2040. Now from there, if you want to get to the 100 billion mark, which we believe is the real potential, there are a few accelerators or multipliers, right? Number one, mass adoption of satellite internet. The second is satellite manufacturing and launch capabilities. India can become a global hub for manufacturing of satellites. Then if you look at one big opportunities in in-space mining and manufacturing and providing services around it, which India can again be a market leader of that. And then to explore areas like space tourism and space entertainment. And finally, there are topics on green space, which include sustainable fuel, reusable spacecraft, and eco-friendly debris removal, which are rounds of the opportunity. So current course and speed, India should anyway have a 25 to even $40 billion space industry. But if you look at some of the multipliers and the accelerators I spoke about, India could easily have a $100 billion space industry by 2040. So what has been the kind of private participation yet, and I'm counting startups in them, in India's space journey? I know in your report, you've said that it's primarily ISRO, which has made the investments. But even so, what is it like right now? And how do we compare to, say, global standards of private participation in their, in other countries' space journeys? Yeah, so in other countries, space journeys, most, uh, I would say, space industries have actually built a ecosystem and a value chain around themselves, which is focused on manufacturing services and in some cases, launch capabilities. The biggest example is SpaceX and Blue Origin in the US, right, which often also now do manned and unmanned launches for NASA and for themselves. So that's where the global economy has shaped. In India, we have the emergence of a few players like Dhruva, Agnikul, Pixel, Bellatrix, which are helping uh, ISRO both in the ground segment, helping in manufacturing a few components, but also working on satellite launch and satellite services. Most interestingly, India has attracted nearly $200 million of funding in the last two years, which is mostly venture capital funding. And as per any statistics you see, you will see that there are at least 100 space startups which are there in the space. To be fair, one of the most recent developments has been Microsoft signing an MOU with ISRO to support space tech startups in India. So in India, you're also seeing the beginning of a lot of activity. But we envisage that if you want to get to $100 billion, it has to be primarily driven by private sector, a lot of it by startups, but also by big conglomerates and big manufacturing industries also stepping in and establishing their presence in the space industry in India. What India has lacked in numbers, it's made up for in terms of quality in the global space industry. From being a surprise discoverer of water on the moon to being the first country to reach Mars in its first attempt to now, hopefully, being the first to soft land on the South Pole of the moon, it's been a pioneer. It's also been a pioneer in cost-effective space programs, mounting large-scale missions successfully at a fraction of the cost of its global peers. Now, as it propels itself to fast scaling up its number of missions, 
it will have to take care that it holds on to the benchmarks it has attained over the years. As it fast opens up its industry and includes the private sector, including startups, in its journey, quality and safety control become paramount. A $100 billion space economy is a great milestone to achieve, but it must be achieved on the same principles that have brought us this far. That's all for today. You are listening to this episode on The Morning Brief. It was produced by Vinay Joshi and sound designed by Amrit Riji. Executive producers Arjit Barman, Anupriya Nair and myself. Do like, share and subscribe if you like this episode. Also, please post comments on platforms like Spotify that allow them. Your feedback is not just welcome, it's critical. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on all audio streaming platforms of your choice. Keep listening. This is your host Anirban Chaudhary wishing you a great week ahead. All clips in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description. <laughs>